All right, if you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, please. Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to give you the title of the message today, and you're going to see my creativity throughout the message. Okay, and then you'll understand why I picked this title. The title is My People. My People. To do great things that God created us to do, we need to hear His voice. The voice of our Heavenly Father again and again. Not just once, not just several times, but on a regular basis, over and over again. And what we need to know and, and what we need to hear is we need to hear what He's saying about us. And we cannot hear what He's saying about us enough. Okay? We need to hear what he says about us on a regular basis because the world's always telling you what you can't do and how rotten you are. And so we need to combat that by hearing the voice of God and letting ourselves know what he thinks about us. If we're going to overcome our sins and not just be forgiven by them, but do great things for God, then, and, then we need to keep on hearing his voice. It's not enough for us to know that we're saved, that we're born again, that we're forgiven by the blood of Jesus. I mean, we have to know deep down inside of us that he loves us. We need to saturate our hearts and our minds with who we truly are according to God and the truth of his word. And that's the only way we combat the lies of the enemy. We need to know that we are chosen, that we are equipped, that we're empowered, that he leads us, that he guides us. And that he has great plans for our lives. Only as we know God will. Only as we know God. Will we begin to entertain the idea. Of being great. For him. You see if you don't have a great plan for your life. If you don't have a great destiny. For your life while you're down here. It's only because you really don't know God. You, you may know about him. You may even sing about him. You may even read about him, but you just don't know him. Because it's in that knowing, when you know what God thinks about you, that's when you're going to begin to do great things for him. Sometimes in our thinking, we think that we can't accomplish much. And, you know, for whatever reason, we, we have determined that we're not going to be able to do much. So guess what we do? We don't do much. And that's why we have to know what God says about us. If we think that we're not smart, guess what? And I see this all the time. If you don't think you're smart, you do not try to learn. You just stay dumb. Because you're not smart. You're going to prove to everybody that you're not smart. You're just going to stay dumb. We think that we aren't good enough, and so we do things to prove that. We dress like we're not good enough. We speak like we're not good enough. We think we're not good enough, and so guess what? We do whatever. I remember in our younger days... My brother, David, was just older than me. And so sometimes we played on the same sports teams. But usually there was a 
a year or two between us. And I remember that um, he got a new coach. And I don't even remember if this coach had kids on the team. I, I, I was trying to think about that. But he was, um, this coach enjoyed winning. He enjoyed sports, but he enjoyed winning. And he was wealthy. And so my brother's, I think it was his first year, he decided that he himself was going to buy all new uniforms, not for the whole thing, but for his team that he was coaching. He was going to buy new uniforms, new gear, uh, you know, new helmets, new catching gear, new mitts for catching. He, he was going to do it. New bases. And it was awesome. And this was his thought. His thought was, is if you look good, you will play good. If you look like just whatever, you're going to play like just whatever. And so it's important in his mind that you look the part that you're getting ready to do. That was the first part of his thought process. The other part was, is he thought, when you look that good, you're going to be real intimidating to the team that you're playing. And they're going to have to figure out how to up their game if they can. And so he did it on two, two counts. One, to encourage them to lift their spirits up, to let them think that they are something and they can do something, but also to intimidate the other team. So he was, the coach was trying to change the mindset of being a loser and looking like a loser to looking like a winner and playing like a winner. And then you want to ask me, did it work? <laughs> Later, I'll tell you. No, I'm kidding. I'll tell you now. This is what I remember. We would go on vacation every year at a certain time for two weeks. We would go up and spend time at my mom and my dad's family just north of Pittsburgh. That was our vacation. And we were going on vacation, and it was usually the same time every year. We were going on this vacation, and it was championship time for this baseball team. And David was a star pitcher, star athlete in every sport. But in this case with the team, he was the star pitcher, star shortstop, and he could hit. And so uh, he was going on vacation with us. But they were in the playoffs. And so the coach begged my mom and dad to change it. And if they wouldn't change it, would they let him, this coach would fly my brother from Virginia Beach up to Pittsburgh. And he could spend some time, and then when he needed him back, he'd fly him back to Virginia Beach. So my parents agreed to that. You got that, right? They were in the playoffs. Apparently, they were winning. And they looked good winning. Now, as usual, I'm going to take some help in this, take some credit. When the coach bought new gear. I was primarily a catcher by this time. And so he gave us all the old catching gear. 
with the hope and the promise that I would catch my brother in the backyard. So we spent hours in the backyard. I spent hours helping him become really, really good. The mitt that I had did not have any padding in it. So I had to put sponges in there to help. But I say all that because God has great plans for us. But if you don't think that, if you don't know that, you'll just settle. You'll settle for just whatever. And there's a lot of believers that have settled for just whatever. Think about it. When you are around this community, you go in the store, you go in the restaurants and whatever, you see people that have a uniform on and the hospital, I was thinking of this, the hospital is probably one of the greatest ones that has uniforms. And when you're around the community, you know who works at the hospital because of their uniform, because of how they dress. And you know, when they put that uniform on, they've taken off their clothing and they put on the, the hospital's clothing and now they're a representation of that hospital. Wherever they go, when they have that clothing on, when they have their uniform on, they are a represent, representative of that. And I just want us to understand that we are a representative of Christ. And it's important how we think. Because if you think that your life doesn't matter and just whatever, then that's how you're going to act. That's how you're going to live. That's how you're going to think. And I'm going to tell you, you're not going to do much for God. I've given you a chance to get to Exodus 3. Are you there yet? Okay, I haven't forgotten, but I'm not there yet either. So... When we know that God has created us for great things, that he has great plans for us, and that we belong to him, then we won't settle for just anything. We can't settle for just anything. We have to begin to seek him, and we have to begin to seek the things that he has for us. We need to begin to seek his thoughts and his ways for us because they're so much higher than ours. But when we understand that he has great plans for us, this is what we do. We don't just settle. We go on and we look for those things that God has for us. And that's why it's so important for us to know God's written word, the Bible. But it's also important for us to know and keep on hearing his voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. We need to hear him well. We have to be reminded that God isn't afraid of our past. He's not afraid of our weaknesses. He's not afraid of our failures. And we need to have the same mindset about our lives that he has. And we need to believe that he loves us so much and he desires great things for us in spite of all the rotten things that we have done. And then we have to realize when we walk with God, and this is so amazing, when we begin to do the great things that God has for us, they're really not even about us. They're really for others. You know, we have this notion that, oh, God's going to call me to do this great thing. And then we we strive to do it. And, you know, we think we're going to get all the applause. And you know what? It really doesn't happen. Because it's not about you. It's about people that God wants you to serve. And it's about Him. It's about us bringing Him 
to the people that he wants us to. That's the amazing thing. And when we read the scripture, we find out that there's not one person in the Bible that God used that didn't have a storied, faulty, sinful past. (laughs) Every one of them sinned and made mistakes and had some kind of weakness or weaknesses to rise above something that they had to overcome. And I just want to ask you this morning, what in your life do you have to overcome in order to be used by God in a great way? Maybe you look at your life and you think, well, I just can't do anything. Well, who says? You say you can't do anything, but what does God say? And yet, even though we know that there's things that we have to overcome, we also act like we have to be perfect for God to use us. And I pray that we would stop believing that lie from the enemy. God sent us Jesus to be our sacrifice and to... Allow us to belong to a family. We all have families in the natural, but they may not have been very good. But when we receive Jesus Christ and place our faith in Him, then we become part of God's family. And we need to find our place even in that. When we are part of the family of God, that means that we belong and that we have a purpose. In Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to begin to read you some scriptures. They're going to come up, but I'm going to go through these pretty quick. But I'd like for you to at least write the references down. I'm not giving you all of them because I'll explain that in just a minute about Exodus. But we need to hear God speaking over us and so... I'm going to attempt that today with his word. All right. Exodus chapter 3 verse 7 says. Then the Lord said. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Everybody say I know their sufferings. You see, sometimes I think we go through life and we don't think God understands what we're going through. (laughs) Okay, verse 8. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, to the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and any other ites you think. In case you haven't figured it out, let me go back to verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have have surely seen the affliction of my people. By saying my people. Exodus chapter 3 verse 10 says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Exodus 5.1 Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Exodus 6.7 
I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who, brought, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, I just want to let you know that there's a total of 17 times in the book of Exodus, and we're not looking at any more out of Exodus, but 17 times in Exodus, God refers to Israel as my people. My people. Why would he do this? We don't know exactly, but this is my theory. He's getting ready to deliver them out of Egypt. If you remember, they went there. They were small when they went there, but God found, they found favor in the eyes of God. They increased. They multiplied. They filled the place, um, and Pharaoh loved having them, welcomed them, but this is, I think, the fifth Pharaoh that has come, and he's forgotten how they got there and what Joseph did for the Egyptians. And so now they are uh, laborers. They are slaves in Egypt. And God says, you know what? I'm going to bring you out. And he starts telling them, and he, he starts giving the command to Moses and to Aaron, I want you to go to Pharaoh, but don't you know that the people heard what they were speaking to Pharaoh. And it was this, let my people go. You see, I believe that God was beginning to bring an identity to them because they had one when they went down there. Then they lost it. Now they're slaves. And now he's getting ready to deliver them out of Egypt. And he wants them to get the slave mentality out of their mind. And he wants them to know, you are my people now. And we need to get that in our hearts and minds as well. Because a lot of us who belong to God are living as if we're slaves to the enemy. And we have to come to the place where we realize that we are his people. That we belong to God. You're going to see this throughout the whole thing. God is trying to get them to understand that they belong to Him, but He's also wanting them to understand that God belongs to them. Whew. You put that combination together and it's unstoppable. Mm. Leviticus chapter 26, verses 11 and 12. Leviticus 26. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Isaiah 51, 16. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. Jeremiah 7.23, but this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and, I, and walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. Jeremiah 24.7, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Jeremiah 30, 22, and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Jeremiah 31, 1, at that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. <clears throat> 
Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Jeremiah 32, 38, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Hallelujah. Isn't this good? That's the promise that God has for us. You're not just a nobody. You're a somebody. God has great plans for us. And we keep thinking that we're nobody, that we have all these things that we have to overcome. Get over it. Get over yourself. You're His. You belong to Him. But He's yours as well. You know, I'd be happy if, if I... to just know that I'm His. But to know that He is mine? That's good stuff. Now look, this I want to kind of bring you into this as well. If in case you don't know this, they didn't walk with God right on a regular basis. They made mistakes. They did some of the dumbest things, some of the same things we do. And God is still declaring, "But you're my people." And I'm your God. Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 19. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Ezekiel 34 30. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them. And that they, the house of Israel... Are my people, declares the Lord. Ezekiel 36, 28. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Hallelujah. Ezekiel 37, 27. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Zechariah 8, 7 to 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to, the, to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Don't you want to be in his house? Don't you want to be his people? Man, how awesome is it that God calls us my people. He calls us His. And again, I'm excited to be His, but I'm more excited that He's mine. Whew. <clears throat> In case you didn't catch it, now you know where I got the title for the story, for the message. The creativity was strong that day. Second Corinthians 6.16 What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Hebrews 8, 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We are not just a nobody. We are his people, and he is our God. 
We are not somebody without a plan or a purpose. We are here on purpose. We are not here by accident or an afterthought. We are God's. We belong to him. We belong to his family. But more importantly, he, God, belongs to us.